art, comedy, pop culture, and much more. You're listening to ACPN. Okay, here we go. We can hijack Something, 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 something. Okay, here we go. Hey, everybody. It is time for Something in Review. Review. Re- remix. I don't know. I... I no. James Hatton. Podcast Rob. And we've decided to tackle a, a show that has been in the hearts and minds of everybody who have been locked in their home waiting week after week. It is a show we did. We did the first season. It only seems right we do the second season, especially because I think season two was a stronger showing. Um, that is, of course, The Mandalorian. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, fantastic season. season. Season one was good because it started... For people like myself, who was not into all of the uh, expanded universe stuff that was canon and wasn't canon and became kind of canon again and blah, 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 all that happy stuff, Um, this was kind of outside of a movie like Rogue One, which kind of took the Star Wars universe that we know, which was those nine movies, and kind of put it on its head. Uh, not so much put it on its head, that was a bad turn of phrase, but expanded it beyond what we know and filled in some blanks. Uh, it was a great stepping stone for that. Season one was. Yeah. Um, season two now said, how do we take those blanks that we've filled in and really kind of smooth over the surfaces to the stuff that we already know even more? And... The more the series went on, the more I found myself going to my sort of deeper nerd Star Wars friends, the ones who do know what's what, because I've seen pictures of a dark saber and I've heard the name Ahsoka. um, So I knew that they had appeared somewhere in Star Wars mythos. So it was very much a okay friends who enjoy Clone Wars and Rebels and the like. What do I need to know? Um, Because after last season one established what we do need to know, there's a Mandalorian. He he never takes off his helmet. He is a sort of devout Mando. Um, And then there's our favorite Toyota. This season didn't have to do any of that. It had to do none of the heavy lifting. All we need to know is Mando's got, uh, got baby Yoda and... He's trying to figure out what to do with him. Game on. And yep. I think that, uh, I was going to say, I think that first episode sort of reestablishes perfectly like we're back. It's country western. This is uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. This is a boy in his mondo. Uh, and we're just going to tell great stories because that first episode really starts you off with a what I would call a classic season one episode. But then from there, it's all universe expansion. Right. You were going to say something? No, I I liked your a boy in his mando. <laughs> it's because it's the first episode couldn't help uh, if I remember correctly. It's the one is that the one with the Tuscan Raiders? The first episode of season two, yes. Yeah. Yes, first episode uh, of season two, the Marshal, which also starred. Uh, of course, I forget his name right off the top of my head. Timothy Oliphant. Oh yes, and introduces. 
a major plot point that would become one of the very important MacGuffins that right from the get-go is, is there sort of lingering for about three, four episodes before we understand its relevance in the armor he's wearing? Um, Because I'm correct. He was wearing the Boba armor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now so, I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here. When you say lingers for three or four seasons or three or four episodes. episodes, are you intimating that for three or four episodes you were unsure if that was actually Boba Fett's armor or not? No, I, I recognized it was Boba's armor. Um, I was just making sure it was the right episode. It was more that I would never have assumed, based on my lack of knowledge about the extended universe. Uh, that Boba was A, alive, and B, looking for it. So I really thought that if there was some plot point to be gained, it was that like he was going to return Boba's armor to the spiritual home world, or he was going to do great honor to the Fett, or you know something. I didn't expect it was going to become a, hey, I want my suit back later in the season. Well, I mean, he did make an appearance at the end of that episode one of season two. Did he? Yeah. After they killed it. So the whole point of it was kill, help me kill the crate Dragon and you can have the armor. So at the end, yes. after they kill the crate Dragon, you know, Oliphant packs all that stuff up on Boba's, you know, little land speeder thing. And off he rides and the camera kind of pans up into the mountains and there's a bald dude watching Boba or watching... <gasps> Mando ride off with the armor, and then as he turns away, as if to like walk off camera, we see that it's Boba Fett. So that was I, right at the end of season one, uh, episode one, season two. Not gonna lie, didn't realize that that yeah, I do not remember that that was Boba Fett at that until you just said that. I'd have to go rewatch the episode and be like, it is Boba Fett, yeah. I, I want to throw out there that back in the day, uh, me and some friends of ours, we used to play Star Wars Galaxies, which was the the Star Wars-based MMO game. Yes. And uh, there was uh, an area of Tatooine called the Crate Dragon Graveyard, where you could go and hunt crate dragons. So huh. seeing a crate dragon, you know, kind of featured in this episode really kind of like brought me back to those Star Wars Galaxies MMO kind of days. And it was hilarious that they keep like, you know, mocking out, well, here's the, here's the plan and this is us and this is the cave and here's the dragon and that can't be right. No, that's to scale. Are you sure that's, that's to scale. And then (laughs) like, even us were thinking, okay, as the viewer, we're like, okay, so sure. It's probably to, and then when like you actually see that whole thing come out of the cave, I was sitting there going, fuck, that's to scale. That that is to scale. Oh my god. That was an amazing episode. And it was a yes. great episode to start that season two with. It had a great uh co-star in Timothy Oliphant. And I actually had to look up who that was during the episode, because it looked like somebody doing a really good Timothy Oliphant cosplay, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen Timothy Oliphant in anything for for a bit, and I'd never seen him do anything with the whole, you know, uh, beard mustache thing going on. So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, is that... That looks like Timothy... 
is it really? And like, I had to look it up to confirm, you know, what I was thinking it was. But great co-star, great action, great effects. The CGI work and everything of the Crate Dragon was amazing. It was just a, you know, it was a, you know, get in the car, we're killing a Crate Dragon kind of episode. And it just <laughs> felt really awesome and started the momentum for the season really well. And right from the get-go, the Boba armor becomes a plot point that sort of lingers. Um, one of my favorite bits of trivia from that first episode. And this is, this is the care that they are putting into. And the fact that you mentioned that that was in the video game makes me thrilled. Cause I also had, you know, nerd friends talking about how things this season were referencing the cartoons, which we'll get to mm-hmm. um, the, one of the video games directly uh, is about the speech that space Boston gives to the general. Um, <laughs> right. It's, it's the whole plot of one of the games. So, they are diving deep into the lore and making it accessible. But um, the point I wanted to say about episode one, I read that when they were trying to decide how the Tuscan Raiders talked, they decided since all we've ever heard from them is, <laughs> you know, that thing, um, that they would have an unspoken, they'd use a, a sign language. They hired sign language professionals, ASL sort of linguists, to help build what these people's language would look like. And I was like, God, that's, I mean, that's number one. It's wonderful that they're doing that, that they're, that they're taking care into the languages in an almost a Tolkien way too. It's kind of badass that now, you know, there is a Tuscan Raider language based on American sign language. And I, I assume knowing nerds, there will be a, the alphabets of Tuscan next sure. year. Um, and next time, next San Diego that people are allowed to go to, they'll be just, well, you won't be able to tell how many there are. Right. Cause they travel single file to hide their numbers. Indeed. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing that I find about this season overall. Yes. Is that the highest rated and lowest rated episode were both directed by the same person. Interesting. Uh, episode two, the passenger mm-hmm. was the lowest rated episode of the season, uh, at least according to IMDB, 7.9 out of 10. Um, and, uh, episode 16, the rescue, uh, 9.9 out of 10, uh, 32,000 reviews. Oh, uh, Jesus. So yeah, both directed by Peyton Reed. I mean, it's 8.0 as the lowest number of your season means you're doing something. Yeah, right. it's not, it's not, but like literally everything else was, there was an 8.5 and an 8.9 and then everything else is 9, 9, 9, 3, 9, 5, 9, 9, 2, 9, 9. Like this season just completely blew it out of the water. Uh, and I don't think that's the weakest episode. Mm, I kind of did. I mean, I w- it's a it's a throwaway episode in so much as it, it doesn't really bear a whole hell of a lot of weight on the plot. But as a, I guess we'll call it uh, splatterpunk, cave spider, monster splashiness. Like, I understand people are upset about Yoda eating the froggy eggs, but I actually disliked the siege more. Um, no, no, no. Was it the siege? Yeah, it was the siege. It was the I. It was the one that kind of left me kind of dry, the one where uh, we are reunited 
with Gina Carano and Carl Weathers. Not yeah, because yeah. I don't enjoy those characters. It was just sort of a, eh, we're, we're getting to the good stuff next. Yeah, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't crazy about The Passenger, but what I did honestly like about it was that it made people uncomfortable about Baby Yoda. Sure. That's a good uh, and, call. And I liked that. Like, I liked watching it going, he, oh, that's... Mm. <laughs> and, like, you know, people on Twitter and on social social media were just like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Why are they making him, like, creepy? Why is he... Why are they writing... I'm like, dude, we know nothing about this creature except for the fact that he looks like somebody that we all pretty much liked from the previous movies. Right. You know, we also... And and here's like the minor Star Wars nerdiness of me coming out. Yoda was like over 900 years old when he died. Mm-hmm. We have no idea how old this thing is. Yeah, that's true. You know, Mando keeps calling him the child. He could be 60 for all we know. You know, we have no idea what the, you know, child because he's small, because he looks young. But in his, in his, uh, you know, zoological calendar who the hell knows how old this thing is he could be well, like a kid what are you talking about i'm you know i'm 105 you know i'm right. old enough to drink on my planet kind of thing we have no idea so the fact that the kid was just like the fact that he the he was just to the point of oh look i'm gonna eat that and just did it like didn't have any thought about it didn't have any care yeah. or any concern i'm thinking He's not like we think he's cute and lovable because they made him small and cute and lovable looking. But if this turns out to be not the case, like how awesome would that be to just turn everybody's perception of him oh. on his head? Hulk you know? Hogan starts the NWO. Yeah. Like I was literally waiting for a point where they get attacked. And, you know, he's just, you know, he does like the force choke on somebody just because I can. You know, yeah, not that he's doing it to be evil, but like, like we found out, he hasn't been trained. He just has these abilities. So as far as he knows, oh, I want that thing over there. And all of a sudden it's in his hand. Oh, you're pissing me off. <laughs> Crack his neck. You know, like he doesn't know that that's good or evil. It's just, this is what I can do. So if they started showing more of that and people just became like, oh, what is he doing? I was like, oh, I am here for this because this could get ugly and awesome. And you're you're making a strong point because every time he utilized his powers, other than the the training sequences, which we'll get to in a minute, they were these. That's not what a good guy does, but you can. Looking at him as quote unquote the child, go ah, he's just being a little kid. He don't know better. He don't know nothing from nothing. Um, but there's the sequence where later he's caught uh, and he's on the Imperial destroyer and he's bouncing two stormtroopers around like they're pachinko balls. Yep. <laughs> Again, not amazing. good, not evil. It's just, Oh, this right. is a thing I know I can do. People have attacked me. I've done it before. It makes them stop attacking me. Yeah. I kind of liked where, you know, there would be a scene where he reaches in for the frog egg and he's a, like, he's got his mouth open. Amanda walks in and he's like, I told you no. And the kid just dead eyes him and still puts it in his mouth and eats it. And I'm just like, oh, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Which, as the stepfather of a 12 year old, that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> it's very accurate. 
don't blink, don't break eye contact. Still do the damn thing. Um, so we learn that Mando is going to have to go find a Jedi. And I think that's where the real hullabaloo began. Well, I guess maybe we should discuss the other Mandos first before we get to the Jedi, because that was the, the first big shock from there. Um, he gains from the frog people in episode two. He learns that there are some Mandos over over there. So he goes over there and he bumps into a series of three Mandalorians mm-hmm. um, who have no problem taking off their masks, which was amazing foreshadowing for what was to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of them was Sasha Banks, the WWE star. But the sort of, oh, I see what you guys are doing. Way, way, to, way to play to your nerd quotient here is they brought in Starbuck. Yeah. Um, whose name is immediately going to elude <laughs> me because I need it. And it was in my head 10 seconds ago. But now it's gone. Katie Sackhoff. Yep. And I maybe the comic people and the, and the Mando people could tell us about how his version of the Mandalorian ethos is devout and sort of culty and theirs is um, more dignified and political, but they, they took off their masks and they called him a zealot. Like what? And we had their big grand theft space episode. And it was, I liked his reaction to that whole thing, you know, because he basically only knows the way, like, this is the way, this is how things happen, this is what we do, you don't take your mask off, you don't do this, you know. So that's all he's known since basically he was, I'll use the word, inducted into the creed of being the Mandalorian. So when these other people are just like, yeah, you're a zealot. That's why, you know, all of them basically died and the planet got destroyed. Like, the way he had that kind of, like... It, half of it seemed like simmering rage, and the other half was, like, intense questioning of oneself, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that feel came through, even though he's got the armor and the helmet on. Like, you could still feel that whole, I'm not a zealot, am I a zealot? I don't want to be a zealot. I'm not a zealot, am I? No, no, I'm a zealot. Kind of thing, like, all came through. Um, It was really cool. And at the same, the, the thing I really enjoyed about that episode was it showed him as not sure of himself. Right. Um, and not just in his his sort of political belief leanings, but also, there's that whole sequence where they land on the destroyer and he's running through. And he's two steps behind them at all turns. Like, they step out in unison. They each know who they're going to fire on. They got point here, point there, run zigzag. And he's in the background like, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll shoot that guy. And he's just always two steps behind. So, it every episode built the character mythos and built what was to come. And it was fucking exquisite. See, now I'll go on the, the, the record as saying, I didn't see that as him being unsure of himself. I saw that as an excellent portrayal of somebody who is used to running solo and being a lone wolf, True. but also good enough at what he does to know that he doesn't want to be the one to get in the way or to screw things up. So it was very much, to me, watching it going, 
no, no, you go ahead. I'll follow your lead. And like, he'll be that half beat behind everybody because he wants to see what they do first. So he doesn't do the thing that gums up the rest of the team because he's clearly the outsider here in this well-oiled three Mandalorian machine that they have going on. This was not their first rodeo. That was painfully obvious. So he Mm -hmm. was just a, you go ahead. I'm right here. Gotcha. I'll follow along. Um, in that we learned that Bo-Katan, uh, Katie Sackhoff's character wants the moth and specifically the dark saber, which all seemingly ties into the, to the bigger narrative of star Wars, um, into, I guess it was rebels, uh, which Bo-Katan and her, why the throne is important was all sort of brought up, but she definitely is intense. Mm -hmm. And you definitely wonder if it came down to it, whose side, whether they would be on the same side, even though they wear the same armor. I loved, I really enjoyed that, that exploration of what is a Mandalorian, because as we've said multiple times, like not in the extended universe brain, it makes me want to know more about what actually determines your Mandalorian-ness is it just that you're from Mandalore and there's different factions in the same way there's different religions here on earth? Is it that there's different sects of people that, you know, castes or, and what does the armor have to do with it? Like there's a lot there right. uh, to unpack. And it, it felt very cool. It made me and multiple times this season, it made me want to go explore more star Wars, which uh, to be dead honest Nothing since Disney's bought them has made me want to do that. Right, right. I had started watching uh, Clone Wars, the animated. Yeah. And it was cool. I forget why I kind of fell off and stopped watching it. I think it was because I hadn't started watching it because I was like, oh my God, I have to see this. It was, oh, a lot of people say this is really cool. So let me kind of watch this and check this out. And then something else that I was really excited about came out so it was like okay i'll put this on the back burner and catch up on this and i'll come back to it mm-hmm. and they just never really did yeah um but i hadn't gotten to any of the stuff that had showed the uh bo-katan stuff but i had seen uh a lot of uh ahsoka stuff which is what so, brings us to next yeah so when she showed up in uh chapter 13 episode 5 of season 2 that was pretty baller Especially when you realized who the actress was. Um, there was this minute where she appears on screen, and admittedly that had been spoiled for me because we caught up a little later on that. Right. Um, but when you see her, it, number one, does not look like Rosario Dawson. But then you can you get a sense that it is very quickly. Um, but she looked like the cartoon. Yeah, it was it was a, an amazing, I'll say recreation, but it was an amazing portrayal of that yes. animated character into that live action. Uh, the fights were awesome. the The whole feel of that episode was really good. Uh, I liked not only the fight uh, between uh, her and uh, Elspeth uh, at the end in that temple. That was a great scene. Um, but I, I kind of liked the conversation between Mando and Lang outside too. Yes. You know, where the guy was like, you know, there's some things that you die for and some things that you don't. 
this ain't one of them. And I was like, oh, this guy's got a brain. And then that whole thing turned out to be a ploy. And I'm like, well, I can e- easily see that too, because this guy's a douche. So it was like, it, it played both sides of it. It was, it was just a really good episode. It was, it's aside from the finale, it was probably my favorite episode of the season. Um, especially when you look, and maybe this is me sort of looking for things, but I, I think it was intentional that the outside scene between uh, Mando and Lang is a very showdown at the OK Corral. Oh, yeah. At, at, but on the inside is very much a, a like Kurosawa samurai battle. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt very much like these are the two genres that have built Star Wars. The two genres we've... Yep. We've built our whole thing on. Kind of paying homage to both. Yeah. Because the the fight between uh, Ahsoka and Elspeth reminded me so very specifically like the fight at the end of Kill Bill. And that they clearly came from similar origin points. And I know mm-hmm. that that's homage to, to all the um, 70s samurai films. So it was... Even the, the the sad, sick village and the evil general at the top, it all felt very, very evil kung fu movie. I can see that. Uh, and you are also not alone because, uh, according to IMDb, that was the second highest rated episode of this season. 9.5 out of 10. It was just, I mean, it was a great episode. It, it, added so much more to the story that we already knew. It brought in Ahsoka, so it tied in that whole other like we said, angle of the Star Wars lore that was out there. Uh, we have a name now. He's not oh, yeah. Baby Yoda. He's Grogu. He's still Baby um, So we I... have that going. And now we know that she's like, you need to take him here because he needs to be trained by a Jedi. Yes. And again, that's another seed planted to, to pay off at the end. I do want to address two things on mm-hmm. this before we jump. Number one, the sequence where it is the fog and it's the generals all looking from their sort of dais. Oh, right, right. And you just see the two sabers. Zoop. And then she's gone. And then zoop. Gone. That choreography was so simplistic. Oh, yeah. And so minimal. But told such a brutally brilliant story about how these two sides treat each other and how badass Ahsoka is, it it argue. I mean, I got, I had chills watching it. I, I, you could ask my wife. I was like, oh my god, that's so cool. Um, it well, it was probably my favorite sequence of the season. And the other point is, I am shocked and amazed that the internet did not freak the fuck out that that his name's Grogu. There was not a lot of anger. It was all very all right. He's Grogu. That's cool. Uh, I kind of felt it was more of people going, ah, like we're still going to call him Baby Yoda. It doesn't matter. I think that was Grogu Smogru. Mando was the, it was the stand in for the fans there because even he's like, hey, kid, <sighs> Grogu. Right. But he still calls him the kid. Like throughout the rest of the series, he more says the kid than he does Grogu. Yep. All right, where do we go from there? <laughs> from there, we go to uh, the tragedy, which is they get to the temple on Tython. 
And uh, this episode actually directed by Robert Rodriguez. Um, yes, which makes is, sense. Yep. Boba shows up, reclaims the armor, has Fennec Shand with him, who the Mandalorian had left to die on Tatooine in season one. And she's a uh, wonderful actress. So we get to see some Ming-Na Wen, which was awesome to see her back. Um, and uh, to see the three of them just kind of like mow through stormtroopers with reckless abandon was amazing. There was uh, one scene uh, that uh, a friend of ours, uh, Rick from Ice in the Face, had posted on social media. It was just a series of the still images. When Boba Fett is like stalking towards the stormtroopers Mm -hmm. and he's just dragging that hooked club behind him before just going a home run on like three of them in a row. It was so like serial killer slash horror movie, like unhinged kind of feel to it that I thought it was amazing like just like the weird kind of 40 degree tilted camera angle him just dragging that weapon behind him not no no sort of defensive posture or stance just and then just bop bop just walking through people and it was so well done i mean i don't know of a single star wars thingy that showed stormtrooper armor like being ripped oh, just asunder getting, just getting shattered yeah, and it makes sense that's a Rodriguez episode because it's almost a ship in the bottle. Like, there's not a lot of different scenery. It's mostly on that hill after they get there. Um, and then once the the dark troopers or the Cylons uh, show up, take Grogu, and that's the end of the episode. Like, And now we know where our final sequence of episodes is going. We're, he's He's got to go get Grogu back. Of course. Duh. We're going to go have the... We're, you know we're moving towards the showdown between him and Giancarlo Esposito. Yep. Um, but if if you were to tell me that was like that episode was two hours, I would like, yeah. Fact is it was it's it felt the shortest because it's oh, just yeah. one sequence of pure action. The thing that I thought was hysterical was uh like just a couple days before was big social media posts from I think it was Hasbro who has the license to all the Star Wars toys that they were releasing the Razor Crest, uh, like action figure I'll call it uh, the vehicle figure, mm-hmm. um, and in this episode Moff Gideon blows it up. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, how awesome is that? Hey, here's a toy for the Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the. It's one of the funny subplots of the of the series that like this thing is this it's turned into a jalopy and he finally gets it to where it's in working order and it just gets exploded. It's it's the serenity of the Mandalorian series. It yeah, really is. Very much so. Um so from from tragedy we go to the believer where we go back oh. to uh the New Republic prison uh and we revisit uh Miggs Mayfield Space Boston. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> such an amazing scene like i like bill burr as a comic i thought he yes. was great in that first season as being part of that whole you know wet work team that was breaking mm-hmm. out of prison my favorite episode of season one uh to see him in this one uh i have to tell you if if you were to tell me that that conversation that he has with mandalorian in the fucking transporter as they're driving along 
was ad-libbed and off the cuff, I would not have any hesitation in believing that whatsoever. Yeah, the the tone of it, and I even made a joke, something along those lines, like it was either that the writers knew how to make Bill Burr speak to his strengths, or Bill Burr read the script and goes, eh, can, can I do a little bit of work to it? I got a thing. I got an idea. Can I just... Because the way, his comedy is very like, let's talk about, yeah. I have questions about, you know, it's all very that. And so the fact that he Bill Bird the war between the rebels and the empire was, it was phenomenal. And then to counterpoint to that, um, when they, we get to the sequence in the bar, he shows he has some chops. Like he uses that same sort of inflection of the way he was talking about how horrible the, the empire and the rebels are. Cause they're basically the same damn thing, but he goes through the realization that, you know what the difference is, is the empire didn't care how, like they, they praise the fact that all my friends died and, and he, he grows as a character and in turn it, because he saw Mando do the same thing. It's, it's all just so well layered. I'm just, uh, just wondering. It was, there was so much to unpack in that episode. Yes. The Deep. whole fact of, you know, Mando going through the whole, you know, I have to change out of my armor out of visibility of anybody because I can't show my face that we took our helmet off kind of thing. And then they had that whole conversation, you know, in the transport that everybody has that line that they won't cross until they need to. And then they yep. will. And we get to that point for Mando when he has to take off his helmet to be scanned to use the data interface. Yeah. And then, like, Bill Burr's character just going in and covering for him. And like you said, that whole toast thing where he goes through the whole... Was it worth it? Did they really get, you know... Was it was it really a thing? Did it help them a lot? Did it? Because it was, really didn't help the people who were there. Yeah, it was just... Uh, it was it was gut-wrenching. And, yeah. and the whole time we're working through that conversation, I had this very tiny voice in the back of my head just going, Oh, no. <laughs> oh no and it mm -hmm. ended exactly how that little tiny voice thought it was gonna end with bill burr basically shooting first and just yep. being like uh fuck off um you know, and it's a then good call. him not saying a fucking word about what had to happen when they get back to everybody nope just went in there did the thing got the scan left <laughs> mando kept his helmet on whole time that was beautiful. Like the fact that he just completely kept that between them. Uh, it was, it, it kind of the, the unspokenness of that to me went full circle to the conversation that was just between the two of them in the truck, mm -hmm. you know, because it was kind of like Bilber's character saying, I see that, you know, that I was right. And now that's yeah. where we have to leave it. Like we never have to speak of it again. And let's move on. Um, yeah, I I can't add to, add to that. It was it was amazing character growth. I I hope we see him again, but I understand why we may never. Uh, he's now. <laughs> I did get a giggle. The fact that they're like, yeah, no, you're freeing. We. I'm so sad to hear that you died on that mission. I guess. Oh well, 
Um, and they leave him, even though they're still on an Empire-controlled planet, and he is now a murderer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's free, and, and I, he's also a shrewd son of a bitch, so he'll make his way, but it was very, like, right outside the gates. Here, here's some bus fare. Good yeah. luck and Godspeed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, which brings us finally to the, the ultimate episode, the, the finale of the season. Um, I avoided the internet for the two days it took me to finally sit down and settle in to watch it. Because I knew, all I knew was I saw people posting, do not go look at Mando spoilers. Okay. So I knew something was happening. And we're, I don't know, 30 minutes into a 35 minute episode, 35 and a 40. And I'm like, I, it's cool, but I don't know what's, and then you, and then you see it. So. Please. This episode came out on December 18th, which was my birthday. I knew it was the last episode of the season. So like I set my alarm extra early. I work from home. I don't have to start doing my job until 930. I set my alarm for like 630 because I'm like, I'm waking up. And the first thing I'm doing is watching the fucking season finale of The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. No idea what I was to expect other than this is going to be the showdown between Moff Gideon and Mandalorian. And watching that, so first of all, before we even get to that part, the fight scene between Mando and the one dark trooper. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. When the dark trooper was like piston fisting, punching his head into the bulkhead and the bulkhead is denting because the fucking Beskar won't. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, mm. God, like I was almost waiting to see it crease a little bit. Um, that was fantastic. And I loved how they kind of eliminated the rest of the platoon so Mando wouldn't have to deal with them, uh, you know, with the whole space lock thing. Yeah. But that real that one fight scene really put over how amazingly fucking overmatched uh, they would have been against that entire platoon of dark troopers. There just would have it would have been like a Dexter fucking crime scene. There just would have been blood everywhere. Done. And and that was a perfect setup as we get to um, the Absolutely. final sequence. Absolutely. When they finally come through and they're standing outside the door and they're watching the security cam. So the other thing I want to bring up real quick that I found kind Could of it? odd and humorous here. Um. This is the Star Wars universe. We have these ships that can basically, you know, faster than light travel. They can, you know, warp speed. We have uh, lightsabers made out of, like, pure plasma. We have beings that can use the force and manipulate telekinesis and mind thought. Mm -hmm. And the consoles still have 14-inch CRT screens. (laughs) Like, as they're watching the Dark Troopers outside the door, and it looks like what I used to try to watch Cinemax on when I didn't have the channel, and it was that kind of slow, static bar rolling up and down the screen and things not quite... I'm just like, really? Like, they wouldn't have an OLED screen in that or something? You know, I don't know. It just kind of caught me off guard. That's very funny. But, uh... it reminds me very distinctly of the Austin Powers sequence where he's in the 60s and they have perfect, 
you know, f- can uh, telecommunication television transceiver on his wristwatch, and then yeah. he comes to modern day, and it's the buffering AOL video. Yeah, I th- I think that's it's a bit of retrofuturism. It's it's since that's what they had in the '70s Star Wars, that's what they have in a galaxy long ago, far far away. So very uh, funny. So I'm and I'm watching this thing happen, and we see this cloaked figure work his way through, and we see the green lightsaber blade, and I was just like. <gasps> No. Uh-huh. And then they give you one other micro teaser just in case you pick up on it. And that's they show the gloved hand. And and so I caught that too, but I was having a hard time catching to see is there a glove on both hands, number one. And then you finally kind of realize, no, there's not. But then I couldn't get a good look at the color of that hand because my first thought went to this is Ahsoka and she changed her mind and she mm. was like, no, I will be the one to teach this, you know, to teach him. To um, teach but I'm watching it going, it's a green blade. He's yep. got, he's got a glove on his hand. That could mean he lost it. They wouldn't, would it be? No. How? And then the next question is how? Yeah. And I'm kind of convincing myself that it's not the person that I immediately thought they were alluding to by trying to make connections to other people. Uh, I like I said I hadn't seen all of Clone Wars, but I know there was another uh, Jedi there who looked very Twi'lekish. He had like the 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 four kind of things coming off his head, very mm-hmm. kind of squid head looking thing. I'm like, well, maybe since they brought in Ahsoka, they're going to bring in this dude too because he was a Jedi uh, in in uh, Clone Wars. So maybe they're going to bring in another character from the cartoons, and then dude comes in and takes his hood off. Luke fucking Skywalker. Yeah. Now. I'm sure that it has been, I think we even discussed it in the the first season episode we did, that I didn't know when precisely Mandalorian occurred. I know it had been nailed down, but I still wasn't, like, I'm not, I didn't remember. So there was a lot of other options that were, like, flying through my head as quick as possible. Because if this happened as the rise of the empire, then it could be a handful of like Obi-Wan-ish characters. If it happened after, then it could be a handful of like Ray modern characters. But the minute that he was there, I was like, Oh, right. Of course. Duh. Stupid me. Green lightsaber. Um, I mean, I recognized it, but it was a final realization. Same to you. Like I was trying to convince myself. It wasn't. And the fact that, there is in the last year the the knowledge of deep fakes and that like Instagram filter <clears throat> that lets your friends you know put their faces on every movie ever um, and then you go, okay, here's what you can do when you have Disney technology behind it and it wasn't perfect, but it was damn close yeah but so, I'm sorry, when you say when you have Disney technology behind it, they had yes. already bought Star Wars when Rogue One came out, correct? Yes. Yeah, it's it's gotten better. It it was good. It wasn't as bad as, say, Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One, because exactly. that looked kind of not great. Um, it was that looked a little plasticky around the corners. The eyes didn't feel right. There's there's still an issue in the technology with making the mouth, tongue, mm-hmm. and lips move as realistic as they should. Yes. 
Um, and he seemed to have this kind of just like dead eye stare, like a doll's eyes. <laughs> just like when he looks at Grogu, like you could tell that this was the CGI department trying to make the CGI thing look at something that the CGI thing clearly wasn't actually holding. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I, I think the overall look, like 95% of the look, I think looked fantastic because it yes. looked like Luke from Return of the Jedi. Uh, it had that, it had the outfit, it had that whole hair thing going on that he had. Um, so those minor facial things aside, mm-hmm. it still was an amazingly solid episode and it answered it answered a few questions and asked so many more questions. Like, okay, clearly Ahsoka was right that when Grogu went to uh, Tython and did the whole thing, hey, you know, please, maybe a, maybe a Jedi of power will, you know, kind of feel him through the force and say, hey, I'll go train this guy. Yeah, clearly for Luke to be the one to do this, mm-hmm. like, you have to realize that this kid's got some chops. This isn't just you know, your run-of-the-mill dime store baby Yoda who can make things float. There's something much deeper going on here if Luke is going to be the one to do this training. It also felt very... I'm sorry, it also felt very full circle for me because when he took his cloak off or when he took his hood off and you saw it was Luke, like, the first thought that went through my head was, I will train this young creature as another of this young creature's kind had taught me before kind of thing, mm-hmm. like very full circle of that whole thing. Yep. And, and that same one wouldn't train my father. Like it all relates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to, to your point about this, the kid's important. There was that one line from Moff Gideon and everything that, you know, Moff Gideon says when he offers him the boy, which get to in a brief second um, is suspect because he's the villain, but he says, I think this creature being could be the one that brings order to the, oh, to the yeah, force. Could bring balance. Yeah. Balance order to, to the, the force. force. Yeah. Oh, and I'm like, Oh God. Now that is such a wonderfully layered sentiment because that concept bring balance to the force. It would, has been around since Star Wars, uh, the OT. And there's been different definitions as to what it meant. Um, whether or not you believe that Darth brought balance to the Force by evening out the field of Jedi, <clears throat> or whether you believe that he threw the Force into disbalance because he slaughtered everyone is is up for mythological star Wars debate. So they're the idea that they were bringing that back felt to me like they were saying, and fuck your metachlorians. This is the direction we're going in. Um, and I loved it, but also he then tried to kill Mando. So that could have just been Pablum. Yeah. I, the, I will say the only thing that, I felt was minorly eye rolling. And again, this is coming from a guy who didn't really watch rebels or clone wars or had heard about a dark saber before this season. Mm -hmm. 
was the extrapolation of Moff Gideon when Mando comes into the uh, into the, the the deck and is carrying it, and Bo-Katan's like, what happened? And he goes through the whole thing of, oh no, she can't take it from you. She has to beat you in combat. It felt very yeah. Elder Wandish, You know, mm-hmm. oh, it only blows to the true owner if it's defeated in combat and all this stuff. And I was just like, okay. Like, maybe that's a thing. I can't really speak on it one way or another. But for somebody who right. didn't know anything about it before this series... That whole explanation, uh, you know, in that conversation at that moment in time with what was going on felt shoehorned in to let the people who don't know about it understand what's at stake. And it just felt to me a little out of place. Um, there, you, you mentioned that there was one other thing in that very episode that I had a similar feeling about. And that was uh, when at the beginning, when Mando and team are talking to Bo and... Uh, boss about you know hey i need your help um she specifically says bo specifically says well the dark saber can cut through anything except beskar except pure beskar pure beskar and the minute she said that i was like oh good thing his armor is made of pure beskar (laughs) Uh uh-huh funny that yeah i even said to to my lady like ah He's going to get hit with the dark saber. Yeah, exactly. That will that will come in handy. Luckily yes. enough, Chekhov's Beskar. Yeah, right. Um, that being said, I thought it was a fantastic episode, uh, and this was the first episode I believe in the entire season that had a post-credit stinger. So my favorite part of the show, sort of uniformly, the the thing I look forward to in each Mando episode is the end sequence, because those title cards are gorgeous, those matte paintings that they do, those beautiful pieces that tell you the sequence, that they very well could have been the uh, art developers saying, this is how we want this episode to go, because it's they're beautiful pieces of work. This episode didn't. It was an actual credit sequence, which felt weird. The score was excellent, but then we get the post credits stinger, um, which was sort of a, I'm glad I stuck around because I might not have, because there was no cool art cards. Right. Now, about a week before this episode comes on, Diz has their big Star Wars symposium. I think it was an all Disney symposium, but they released that they're coming out with like, uh, I don't know how many it was, like eight different Star Wars shows. And they list off the the general ideas of when and whether it's animated or real. And um, But there was one they didn't say. And I it was brilliant on their part. Because we had this stinger, please. So the thing that I loved about the stinger is uh, we end up at Jabba's palace. And we, we see Boba come walking into... Jabba's Palace. Actually, I think we see uh, Bib Fortuna actually sitting yes. on Jabba's throne. And I was like, oh, 
Oh, it's Bib. I'm like, yeah. that's kind of cool. <laughs> Why is he? Oh, right. He probably took over after. Je- Got it. Cool. That's actually pretty cool. I thought is, that they were is. kind of continuing along. Well, who would be in control? Where do we go from here? And then and you kind of just game. see like the body slump down the stairs and we see Boba come down and Bib Fortuna is like, Boba, it's been so long. <laughs> Your and old so-and-so. Yeah, it was just that. like, bat, bat, bat. Boba, uh, Boba Fett fucking wipes the ground with everybody and then walks over and just kind of very casually yet regally and authoritatively sits on the throne as Mm -hmm. Fennec comes over with the big bottle of whatever it is, kind of sits on the arm of the throne next to him, takes a big swig and then cuts to black. And it says, you know, coming, uh, coming to 2021, the book of Fett. What? I, I've said many times before that, I, I think it is bad that Disney has control over so much of our entertainment, Marvel and Star Wars and all the princesses. And it's just bad for, for creativity, but it's hard to argue when they pull things off so well. Right. When, when they're utilized, I mean, they made some mistakes in the Star Wars movies. And I think maybe there we might run into some... Um, Star Wars uh, lethargy after all of these shows come forward. But what they've proven with the Avengers films, what they've proven with Mandalorian, is that when they find the right team to do the job, they do the best job they can. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so just even the, the idea that they could have created such media buzz by announcing the book of Fett, but they didn't want that to spoil their show. And they knew they would get that much more media buzz by holding back that little nugget of information. And to keep that bit of information under wraps, like it didn't even leak anywhere. Like how is that even possible in this day and age? So as, as I had mentioned before we started recording, when I saw that, I immediately thought that maybe the show was going to take a slightly American horror story turn on things. And and by that, I mean, when the Mandalorian first was kind of announced for Disney plus, uh, I hadn't read too much about it. So I think a lot of people had originally assumed it was going to be a TV series based around Boba Fett turned out to be not about Boba Fett in the main character, um, but about a Mandalorian, not the Mandalorian. Um, now we have multiple Mandalorians in the show, or at least multiple Mm -hmm. people wearing the Mandalorian armor. So the first thing I thought was, oh, cool. Season three is going to be, you know, the Mandalorian, but it's a different Mandalorian from season one and two. And now that we have Bo-Katan and and all these other ones, maybe other seasons down the road will be their Mandalorian so they can keep the title of the show and keep the theme of the show, but they just kind of change out. No, that's not what's happening at all. Apparently, yes, the Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian Season 3 are both going to premiere uh, around Christmas of December of 2021. Mm-hmm. So in addition to all of the other Star Wars shows that have been announced, there will be two Mandalorian-themed Star Wars shows coming out fourth quarter of 2021. All from the same creative team. Yes. How which... fucking baller is that? 
I mean, if you're gonna, they're printing money. Oh yeah. I, it is at the beginning of Disney plus Mandalorian was, I think one of the shows they said was coming. And I know a bunch of like deep level star Wars fans are like, Oh my God, I can't wait to see it. Cause they also thought it was going to be about Fett or the, the lore or what have you. Um, but now that it has become the, the water cooler show of the day, it's selling more D plus subscriptions than anything. So, John Favreau wants, you know, John Favreau wants a couple more zeros at the end of that paycheck. Give him it. Oh, my he God, has yes. earned it. Uh, Dave Filoni wants to bring in some of his old, cool cartoon ideas. Do it. Um, now, that said, I did hear, and I don't know whether this is a, a, whether this is simply rumor or whether this was speculation on someone's part, that um, Mandalorian may end at the third season. But I'll say that if they were to tell me that this was the end of Mando, the end of the Mandalorian tale, and this would be continued in sort of various splinter parts on other shows, whether it's what happens with Bo-Katana here, whether it's Boba there, um, whether it's Luke and Grogu somewhere else. If you were to tell me that was the final episode of the series, I, for as much as I'm in loving the show, I wouldn't have felt bad about it. It it felt very complete. It felt very, very completion. So I'm, I'm curious what they can do with the season three. But I have no doubt they'll, whatever it is, they already know. And it's already awesome. Absolutely. I totally agree. Well, that brings us to the end of something in review. Hey guys, what did you think of this episode? What did you think of the Mandalorian? What do you think about our new website? You can go look at it at somethingcast.com. And Rob, why don't you tell them all the rest? Uh, everything else is going to be on the website. We've done a total uh, redesign of our website, all of our media links and ways to contact us through the Facebook, through the Twitter, through the email, through the iTunes, all going to be on somethingcast.com. Definitely check it out. Hit us up on Twitter. We love hearing from uh, listeners and fans of the show through Twitter at STSTCast. Uh, you can hit us up at facebook.com slash somethingsomethingcast. Uh, let us know what you thought of our episodes. We've had a couple new episodes by the time you have listened to this, a couple of new styles of episodes. Let us know what you think of the new website, the new episode styles. Um, what you would like to hear from us in 2021, because boy, do we have some ideas. Oh, yes. And that's, I can't add to anything to that. So uh, with that, I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob. And this is The Way. I don't even have anything to add to that. Here we go. Something, 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 something. Okay, here we go.